There's another way we can handle difficult emotion that I think really gets at that aspect of honoring the existence and arising of that emotion, but allows us to better manage it. Because to keep that emotion going, we're actually feeding it with our attention. So whatever it is that we pay attention to recalibrates the entirety of the way the brain operates. That's pretty powerful. Welcome to the show. So excited to be here. I'm so excited to have you because the way you think and your book has really actually given me a totally new way of thinking. When I think about stress, overwhelm, um, my mind spinning, where you know you just feel like your thoughts are just flooding you. And what I love is you say it all comes back to attention. I've never thought about it like that. Mm. So talk to me about um, how attention is your superpower. I want to start there. Yeah, that's a great question. And that's something that, you know, as a neuroscientist in my lab, was really the first kinds of uh, studies that I'd ever done. And some of my earliest experiences studying the brain actually came as a volunteer at a hospital. I thought I was going to be a medical doctor. So I was volunteering at the hospital, realized there's no way I could be a medical doctor because, no, I'm not, <laughs> not oriented that way. But in a brain injury unit, I was able to see people actually who suffered from brain injury train their brain through physical therapy, through practice, to change it. And that got me so excited about the possibility that there is this thing called neuroplasticity. So training the brain to alter the brain for the better, for the most part. And attention ends up being, like you said, a superpower in that it moment by moment can transform the way that our brain operates. So whatever it is that we pay attention to recalibrates the entirety of the way the brain operates. That's pretty powerful. So right now I'm looking at your lovely face and you know there's beautiful surroundings, but as I hone in on your face, the neurons in my brain that process face information are gonna be more active and everything else is sort of dulled down. That to me is very, very exciting because it, it means that the way the brain works alters based on how we put our attention. Mm -hmm. And then that fuel, that attentional fuel, as I like to call it, really impacts every aspect of what we do, the way we think, the way we feel, the way we connect with other people. I love that. Okay, so now how do we start to actually change our brain? So thinking about people right now that are feeling the overwhelm, the stress, yeah. they're like, I can't do it, I don't know what I'm doing with my life, like that can be really crippling. Yeah. So how do we use everything that you just said in order to get focus on attention or is that actually accurate, focus on attention? Well, we're, we're, our whole conversation is focusing on attention, yeah. but how do we use our attention maybe to allow our lives to be more fulfilling Correct. and more successful? Yeah, how do you do that? Yeah, that has been my interest. And after realizing that attention is this incredibly powerful brain capacity, what I wanted to understand was, does it always work well? Because if it fuels everything else we do, are there things that actually make it vulnerable? And what are the consequences of that vulnerability? Like you said, when it's vulnerable, and if it, if it affects the way we act, and it's vulnerable, that means the way we act is going to be vulnerable. Mm -hmm. and, and if it is powerful, and it affects the way we feel, the way we feel is going to be vulnerable. Mm -hmm. So what you describe as these experiences that many of us have, especially over the last few years with the global pandemic, as feeling overwhelmed or incapable or suffering in some way, 
that's very real. First, I just want to honor that that's a very real thing. We don't need to deny that that's the case. What we want to understand is what we might be able to change about the default of the way our brain functions so that we can kind of uplift ourselves outside of that tendency of the mind. Right. And that's where I got interested in brain training as it relates to something called mindfulness, which I think we'll get into. But going back to your question about vulnerabilities and, and what to do about it, you know, my work in my lab looks at people um, that are very likely to experience circumstances that will disable attention, that will really compromise attention. Mm -hmm. People like military service members, military spouses, um, medical and nursing professionals, and you know, those are just some examples of the kinds of groups that we work with. And you know, for all of us, our attention matters, but for certain professions, when mistakes are made, when attention lapses, it could be life or death. So it absolutely is key that we can train attention. And what we didn't know in my lab was like, how do you do that? I mean, you know, how do you actually get somebody's brain to change as it relates to attention? So we tried lots of different things. And it ended up that the thing that consistently benefited them was mindfulness training. Mm -hmm. So it is, in some sense, attention is a weird thing that the brain possesses. It's, it's one of the gifts we have of our evolutionary ancestry, right? We possess this thing called attention, very powerful, as you and I just talked about. But it's kind of weird that we have it. Like, why do we have an attention system? And what does it actually do in the broadest sense? Mm -hmm. The reason we think we have an attention system is because very quickly in the course of complex brain evolution, the brain reached a point where it was overwhelmed, meaning there was far more information in the environment than it could fully, mm -hmm. correctly, accurately process. And now when the brain, which is dealing with the organism's well-being and survival, can't process everything, it needed to come up with a solution that would allow it to at least sample some aspect of, the, of our environment, of our experience, so that it can get a sense of what's going on around it, right? So if you can't see everything, if you can't process everything, take a subset of information. And almost like think of it as, um, like a highlight reel of what's going on, right? Mm -hmm. If we think about a, a, a news event or, or even like the ticker tape on the bottom of your uh, news feed or you know, TV show that has news on it, what is that saying? It's like, these are the most important things right now. Pay attention to that. Now, the human being doesn't know in any moment what's most important. That's what we're trying to figure out moment by moment. So attention was the solution to be able to subsample information, privilege or prioritize some information over other information, which sounds like, well, that seems like a useful thing to do. And the way that we know that brain, the brain system of attention is organized is you can prioritize information in at least three main ways. And that pretty much captures what the three main subsystems of attention are. So one way we can prioritize information, which that's the basic job of attention, prioritize some information over other information as a way to get the highlight reel of our moment-to-moment -moment experience. Right now, of course, we're in a safe, stable, beautiful environment but our ancestors weren't always privileged to have that. Mm. So they needed to know what was going on moment by moment, literally for their survival, so that a storm didn't come and right. kill them or they weren't eaten by predators, et cetera. So it's that, that kind of basic. Um, and the first way that we can prioritize some information is very much like the term that we often use to describe attention, focus. And the flashlight is a metaphor that I use to describe focus. So it's literally like a flashlight or maybe from, you're from uh, the UK, yeah. right, originally? Um, torch. A torch, right? So <laughs> I like. To, I always want to make sure that it doesn't. It, the words don't get in the Universal, way of the concepts. Yeah. yeah. 
So a torch is very, very useful, torch or flashlight, when you're in a darkened room. And in some sense, our evolutionary ancestors were like in the dark. They didn't know what was happening around them. So the flashlight allowed them to sample, just like if you're in a darkened room and you're looking around, some bit by bit information about the environment. And the other very cool part of this metaphor is that whatever it is that that flashlight is pointing toward, they get more information about it. Mm. So right now, as I was saying a moment ago, if I focus on your face, in some sense, my brain, my attention system is shining a flashlight on your beautiful face and everything else around it is like it's dulled out. Mm. And so that allows me to get clear, crisp information. Now, the other aspects of this metaphor that are really useful, because it goes to your question regarding overwhelm and what to do about mm -hmm. it, is that just like an actual flashlight, we can hold our attention in that way. We can direct it willfully, right? So if somebody claps over here, I can move my flashlight, figure mm -hmm. out what was going on, and then I can get back to where I want it to be. So, so it very much can be directed willfully. Mm -hmm. We can direct it toward the external environment, just like we've been talking about, like an actual torch or flashlight, but we can direct it toward the internal environment as well. And that can really serve us. So if we want to, let's say, deliberate a decision, you have an important business decision to make, and you're trying to figure out all the important and relevant information about it, in some sense, you call up that information from your memory, and then you shine the flashlight of attention on it, and that gives you access to that information. And that now could allow you to have the workspace to figure out and problem solve, or a memory of some sort. Like if I said to you, you know, what did you have for breakfast this morning? You can easily call that up in mind, and then direct the flashlight and get that information back. So very, very useful to do for the external environment and the in internal environment. And the key is, it's sometimes called the brain's orienting system, is privileging some stuff mm -hmm. over other stuff. But that's not the only way we pay attention. So in fact, actually, let's let's go a little deeper on the yeah, flashlight yeah. and then we'll get sure, to the other, because sure, it's sure. so powerful. Like yeah. I want to make sure that we cover it. Yeah. So you even said if you bring back a memory, you can shine a flash yeah. flashlight. Does it also work on the opposite? Like, I don't want to shine a flashlight on this ever. And so that memory mm -hmm. you kind of bury and you deliberately don't uh, shine the flashlight. That's such a good question. Okay. That is a strategy that people often use, yeah. right? It's like, don't think about that. Don't think about that. Right. Don't think about that. That phrase, don't think about that, is actually you shining a flashlight on that information. <laughs> so it ends up being something paradoxical where trying to suppress certain information actually brings it more saliently in your mind. And so the approach we have to take if there's certain content that isn't relevant right now, that distracts us, that overwhelms us, all right, so then the question becomes, well, what can I do instead? And that's really where mindfulness can be very, very helpful. But so always shine that. a light then. So whether you want to address it or you don't, it's actually, you're gonna be putting the spotlight on it regardless. Well, no, I think that it makes a lot of sense. Yes, if you, if you try to suppress it, right. you're shining a flashlight yeah. on it. But I do think there are strategic ways we can allow difficult mental content, mm -hmm. troubling content, difficult memories to fade away so that they're not as interfering for our performance and our productivity. But the way to do that is not to say, don't think about mm. that, don't think about that. There's another approach we can take that actually leads us perfectly into this other way of orienting our attention or using our attention um, because it doesn't involve this directly pointing to it. Mm. So anytime you point your attention towards something, it is going to be more salient. And there's this like classic experiments that are done, they're called the one, one thing that they have people do is we bring people in the lab and we say, okay, for the next 10 minutes, I want you to not think about a white bear. So whatever you do, at least don't think about a white bear. Are you ready? Set? Go. White bear. Exactly. <laughs> 
right? It's like you cannot help yourself. Why? Yeah. Because the attention we put, the flashlight we shine on, uh. what we shouldn't pay attention to, makes it shine more. Mm -hmm. So, okay. So then, what do you do? Because like, there's definitely times when, whether it's something simple, like. I don't want to pay attention to my phone right now or something more complex like this is a deep wound that I don't need to be bringing up or or really deliberating right now. Of course we need to manage our mind in a way that's responsible, but we want to do it using effective approaches. So I hope that this notion of how to use a flashlight and your really insightful question about well then should I just like shine it the other direction? Not always uh, effective. But we wouldn't know that. Mm. And that's where brain science can be so helpful because we test it out. But there, is, there are two other ways we can pay attention that might help us get clues into successful ways that we can train attention and be strategic about how we're going to use it to allow us to manage difficult emotion, mm. for example, or just other challenges that we might experience. And so the second way that we can privilege information, this flashlight is just one way. It's like co some content over other content. The second way is actually something we, I described through the metaphor of a floodlight. All right, so the floodlight, it gets us to what we, you were saying, maybe more successful approach. The floodlight really is like an actual floodlight. If you're, uh, you know, I have, a, I have a, actually a motion sensitive floodlight above my garage door. Mm. And if there's anybody that walks by or a neighbor's dog or some, you know, raccoons or whatever it is, the floodlight will go on. And what does that do? That privileges what is happening in the moment. Not certain content, but time, right now. Right? It's not, sh the floodlight doesn't go off if something happened 10 minutes ago. It's like right now. Mm -hmm. So, whereas the flashlight is about certain content, the floodlight is about information right now. But we don't want to limit the type of information because in the moment, we don't know what is most important. Mm -hmm. Like when the floodlight comes on, I'm like, something's up outside right now, and I don't know what it is, but I need to pay attention to it. So, the way that I like to talk about it as it relates to our phenomenological experience, because that's an interesting kind of concept, but how does it feel to use your floodlight? Mm. Well, let's say you're driving or walking somewhere and you see just flashing yellow lights, or even you're walking by in a building and you see a caution sign somewhere, like maybe near a, a bathroom somebody's working on, uh, you know, cleaning it or something like that. What happens to our mind in that moment? Usually, if we're, if we're walking and we see a, a flashing yellow light, not a yellow traffic light, but just a flashing light. It's like, okay, pay attention. You know, is it a school zone? Is it a weird traffic pattern? Is it construction? I don't know what it is, but I better bring my attention online in this broad and receptive manner. So it's very different than the narrow, constrained flashlight. It's broad, receptive, and it cares about right now. And this is something we call the brain's alerting system. So, you know, one strategy, going back to your question about what do you do when there's content that you don't want to pay attention to? Well, saying over and over again, don't pay attention to it, probably won't work. But allowing it to be part of a larger space that is present right now may diminish its power because it's just part of the many things that are present right now. So it's not hyper-privileged. It's just there. You know, like right now I might have um, a preoccupation about something, but I also have the sensations of this lovely chair and I've got light shining on me and I'm, I'm sitting in a warm, comfortable place, I'm having a conversation, all that's present. So the overwhelm caused by a specific type of thought is less um, overwhelming in some sense because it's part of the current milieu. So I don't know if that's starting to get at it. But. I love that. So give me like a real world example if it's from an emotional standpoint. Yeah. So let's say you're going through something, you're feeling like overwhelmed and the stress and like you, you can't focus. Right. And so how would I use the floodlight in those moments yeah. to de-escalate? Yeah, in some sense, but we're gonna, 
we're to train the, ourselves to use the floodlight very specifically. Right. Um, that allows us to literally, like I was describing on the top of my garage, you know, take kind of a bird's eye view. So we're up above, we're looking down to try to get a, a, a lay of the land, a broad landscape. And then if we do that, we can say, you know, right now, out of all the things that are occurring, mm. the difficulty motion is there, you know, and, and start using a third person perspective. I mean, she's feeling overwhelmed right mm. now. But you do it kind of like you're a floodlight reporter. Like you're, right. you're hovering above right. and you're reporting down what's happening and you're getting not just that emotion that's there, you describe it, you acknowledge it, but just like a reporter from, in the, from a, a traffic helicopter, for example, it's not, you know, there may be an accident, but there's other stuff happening around and you're going to be aware of all of it. But your emotion is not out of the picture. Your emotion mm. is totally respected and honored. It's just not the only thing in the picture. Ah. And I think that's ah. also very important. We're not trying to suppress or deny right. the actual emotional response. It's just not the only thing going on. Mm -hmm. So that's one approach. And this, the second approach I want to give you just for that exact moment of feeling an emotional overwhelm, you know, just to be very clear, when we do this floodlight activity, we take, we, we literally talk like a reporter to ourselves, you know, use third person language. Oh yeah, give it to me. What do, yeah, mean, I mean, really, like yeah. you just, you, you know, I would say something like Amishi's experiencing, um, you know, a lot of fear right now, or Amishi's feeling overwhelmed right now. You know, Amishi really cares about her, how she does right now in this moment. That's why she may be feeling it. But you're not going to kind of try to explain away the situation. You're just trying to capture exactly what's going on. Mm. Now, here's the interesting thing about doing that. It's allowing us to pull away, but it also actually leans on the first thing we just talked about, which is that, you know, remember back to the flashlight. You can't have your flash, you only have one flashlight. I didn't say the flashlights of attention. <laughs> right. you know, we don't talk about focuses. We talk about yeah. focus. It's singular. And the way the brain yeah. processes attention is that when, when we use this focusing function, it's narrow and singular. So now all of a sudden, if I'm a reporter reporting down what's going on in me, I can't have my flashlight in two places. I can't be experiencing it and then up here oh. shining it down. That helps reduce the power of that emotional sting mm -hmm. that difficult emotion can often bring. So we're doing kind of multiple things as a strategy to do this, but I want to be very clear that there's no denying the emotion, mm. there's an honoring of it, it's just less overwhelming because it's part of the milieu of our present moment experience. Yeah, and I love that you said that. And If you have big, beautiful, incredible, audacious dreams for your online business, but you actually lack the confidence in your ability to then actually make it happen. And I promise you, my homie, and I say this with all the love and compassion in my heart, your company will never get where you want it to go. I've been there, guys. In Growing Quest, I had to face myself every day. I didn't know what I was doing. And I really wish that I had Shopify at the time. Because when you choose to grow your business with Shopify, you have everything you need to make your dreams a reality. Now, Shopify is an all-in-one global commerce platform that helps you at every stage of your business. From launching your business to hitting a million dollars, Shopify has got you completely covered. And with their incredible Magic AI, award-winning customer service, and the internet's best converting checkout, you literally have everything you need to make all of your amazing businesses' dreams a reality. And that's exactly why I adore and love Shopify. If you're serious about growing your freaking badass business and you want to build your confidence and have faith, then Shopify is here for you. So go over right now and sign up for just $1 a month with your trial period at shopify.com slash lisa 
all lowercase guys. Again, that is go to shopify.com slash Lisa right now to grow your business no matter where you are and what stage it's in. One more time, that's shopify.com slash Lisa. You won't regret it. Really for me, it's not allowing, because I don't like dismissing my emotions. I used to, but I don't anymore. But I don't allow them to take over my actions. Mm. And that's why I like I like the third person because I can get just run away with my emotions. Yeah. It's like they they fill me up and now the the logical lease is gone yes. and it's all emotional. And so being able to do the third person, it doesn't say hey your your emotions aren't valid, but it does say this isn't the full picture. Right. But there's another thing that you can do to help reduce the takeover mm. hijacking that can happen with emotion. And it does dip into this mindfulness concept, but I'm just going to kind of describe it here. So when I said take the reporter's view, right, what does a reporter do that we respect, honor, and really lean on? They're giving you sort of the facts. They're just seeing the observed data and reporting it back. They're not assuming that they know the cause or what might happen next or what led to this. None of that is being discussed. It's just this is the moment right now. And that process of thinking about the cause and the mm. cause before that, and now you're all of a sudden to being a two-year-old child and you know, you're thinking about all the things that led you to this moment and family, exa- and I'm just, it could go on and on and proliferate. That's something we call conceptual elaboration. Mm. So it's almost like, think of it as if you ever on your, <laughs> I, know, I know all of us have done this. You're on your computer, you click on an article that it links to 10, ten other <laughs> articles and you're off and off and off. That's essentially what the brain is doing. We're linking a concept to another concept to another concept, and it proliferates so that it feels like overwhelm. It takes mm. us over. But that's not what a reporter does. A reporter sticks to the present moment and right now. So when we handle our emotion, emotional, strong emotional response in that way, objective, present-centered, non-elaborative, that can further help us stay clear and have it not bleed into our actions and the n- mood for the next moment. Um, I definitely want to go on to the last one Um, and I don't know if this fits in right here or we can hold it for later but you actually said oh my god God, I laughed out loud you were like look our default is always simulate reality make assumptions conceptually elaborate emotionally react and then mentally time travel thought like maybe that goes in with the floodlight thing of everything happening in that moment where like you've just kind of like had this whole thing and it's just like the default Yes, and it's not just me. The entire field of cognitive neuroscience now acknowledges, you know, about 50% of our waking moments, our attention is not in the moment that we're experiencing. Mm-hmm. So it's not what we call in the task at hand. But this, this notion of, of simulating reality takes us out of the present moment because in some sense, it's made up. It's in our head. We created it in our mind. Usually that means we are not in the moment, but we're in the past. Mm-hmm. Where we're reliving what yeah. has occurred or we're creating a future that we don't know will actually happen. And so the simulation mode can be very powerful, but it hijacks us away from the present Mm -hmm. moment. And so what we want to try to do is be aware that we're hijacked, because it's going back to what you said. It can often involve um, strong emotion that's not useful for us. And and frankly, even if it's tied to an actual emotional experience and and a reality that we have experienced, for real, we want to honor that, but we also don't want to continue to re-experience it in an unproductive manner. Right. Because the moment has passed. Yeah. That isn't the reality right now. The only reason it's real for us is because we brought it up and we paid attention to it. Mm-hmm. 
Because so, we put the spotlight on it? That's, that's right. We put the flashlight or the spotlight on it. But there's one other way I want to describe it before we move on to the third yeah. system. Because I think you had such a great question regarding what do you do when there's content you don't want to pay attention to? Um, we can, like we said, reduce the sting of it by putting it in a bigger space where it's one of many things that's happening. We can take this kind of bird's eye view and look down on it with objective uh, raw uh, data coming in from the reporter. But there's another way we can handle difficult emotion that I think really gets at that aspect of honoring the existence and arising of that emotion, mm -hmm. but allows us to better manage it. And that actually goes back to the flashlight. So I'm just gonna mention this. So let's say you're, you're in a conversation and um, you know, somebody says something that really triggers you. It either kind of, you know, it kind of nicks at something that's like a personal preoccupation or a p aspect of your past, and you're so affected by that that it kind of uh, you shut down in terms of receiving the information that's even being said from the person in front of you, and like everything else becomes dark, and all you're focusing on, the only thing shining in your mind's eye is the content that has been difficult. I mean, have you ever had that experience? Um, <laughs> I don't we want to meet the person who hasn't. We all have. We all have. This is the human experience. Yeah. But what do we do in that motion, uh, moment? I mean, one approach we could take is like, okay, I'm not going to think about that, which we already talked about, not going to probably work. Yeah. The other thing we can do is we talked about pull away, realize that's happening to you. Very important to realize it. Mm -hmm. And then pull away and just say to yourself what's going on. The third thing we can do is what I want to go back to, which is we're going to still focus on the present moment and we're still going to use our flashlight. But as that emotion is arising, we're going to now use the flashlight to pay attention to a different aspect of our current experience, mm -hmm. which is the body sensations associated with the emotion, right? So, so as that emotion arises and I'm gripped by it and I feel like I can't even let go, like I wanna return back to the conversation, but I'm so overwhelmed by that. Mm -hmm. What can I do? In some sense, you can just kind of remind yourself, you're sitting or whatever you're doing, feel your feet on the ground, this moment isn't the moment that has been triggered. And then really describe what the sensations are. Tense, tension in the stomach, clinching of the jaw, my back muscles are spasming. Like in some sense, that's also part of the emotional experience, but it's not that mental content that it's, that's hooked us. Mm. So it's honoring the unfolding in our bodies, but it also reduces the sting of that emotional response because to keep that emotion going, we're actually feeding it with our attention. So we're now oh. using our attention to focus on something else that grounds us back in the body and allows us to observe how that thought, how that emotion triggered by that thought um, plays out in the body. And so then would it work if once you've realized, oh, my jaw's tense, my, you know, my, yeah. my, I didn't realize I was clutching. Once you start to process that, does it then help to unwind it then? So you're like, okay, I've actually noticed my hands are thinking, Ah, let exactly. go, and then that reduces my mind's attention to the issue. Well, it might just the act of not paying as much attention to the issue, the the emotional oh. aspect of the issue, and redirecting it to the body has already reduced its interesting its its hold on yeah. you. But what might happen is the next time, the next time that you're in a conversation and that kind of point comes up again, before a full blown hijack of your mind, you can notice the body sensation mm. starting to arise, and like, oh, I know what this is. This is that fear and like just start relaxing your body in that different way. Like just, you know, move your shoulders, like unclench your jaw, like kind of deal with it from the body sensations point of view to gain more control of the situation as it's occurring. Yeah. And you know, all of these things that we just described, like really being able to hold the flashlight where you want it, 
orienting and scanning the body, taking that floodlight point of view. These are part of the mindfulness suite of practices. With mindfulness training, what we're doing is we're actually formally getting ourselves to do these things sort of in the privacy of my, our mind is a daily workout. So the mindfulness approach is essentially, and that's what I feel, uh, the subtitle of my book is, you know, find your focus, own your attention, invest 12 minutes a day. Yeah. And the 12 minutes a day that I'm talking about are formally taking time out of your normal routine to literally practice a suite of exercises that allow you to find your flashlight, scan the body, really train the floodlight so that when you need it in the moment, you can call upon it. You don't even need to say anything to yourself. You'll just have that kind of mental habit established. And that's why we take the mini workout of 12 minutes a day to exercise the mind in this way so that when you need it, you can actually use it. And you can even protect against dipping into full-on overwhelm. Because you might say to yourself, now the next moment a very difficult emotion comes up, you're like, oh, well, look at that. I'm about to have a very difficult emotional response to this. This is going to trigger me. Right? You're kind of anticipating mm. it and you're like, I'm going to take a different approach. I'm going to get into the body right now. Right. I'm going to feel my feet mm. on the ground. You know, and I'm going to actually allow myself to experience the emotion, but I'm going to watch it come up, come online. I'm not going to be overtaken by it. And you know, sometimes this will happen where even though we are aware, like it happens oftentimes in interactions with people where, and I'll tell you personally from my experience, even with my, my children, it's like, <laughs> You know, somebody didn't do something they would they were supposed to do. Like, put away the dishes before I come back. You know, you now, this is part of your responsibility. And I walk into the room and the dishes are totally not, it's a mess. And so I can feel that kind of, my face is getting red. I'm about to like scream, like, why didn't you do the dishes? And I, I can, I'm watching all of this. And just the fact that I'm watching it come online, it's it, all of a sudden I have more control. I'm like, you could yell in this moment. Is that really going to get the message across better? Sometimes it will. Other times it will not. And if you feel like you've, you're about to overreact, you can nip it in the bud or you can actually apologize more quickly. Mm. So it definitely helps to be aware as these things happen. The initiation of me saying, pay attention to the body, notice the rising of this strong emotion in the body was the habit that we talked about. Right, that's just so important. Thank you for breaking that down because there's so much nuance to it. Yeah. And the nuance is very powerful in, like, it can take you one way or another. So yeah, that yeah. kind of understanding is actually so powerful to think about. Um, so let's keep going down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you've also got the third thing. Yes. With the, I love having a, an attentive guide, <laughs> conversation partner. So right, we got flashlight, we talked about floodlight, we talked about the third system that of attention, that also is another way of sampling uh, what's going on right now is something called executive control. And that term executive really is borrowed from the business world. Executive, uh, uh, executives of organizations, as you well know, their job is to ensure that the goals of what the organization wants to achieve and the actions of the organization mm. are aligned. And the executive's job is all to, also to co course correct if course correction is needed. That's what we're talking about here. Executive control in the mind is having our attention guided by our goals. So we're aware of the goals, we're maintaining them, but we're always monitoring to see what is what's happening right now in the way that I'm behaving or feeling or connecting aligned with the goal I have. And when it's not, I better do something to switch it. Either I need to update my goal, it's the wrong goal, or I need to change my action. And the, like, the metaphor I like to use for this is it's like a juggler because we're literally keeping lots of different, we've got multiple goals, but we're trying to attend to them one at a time. We're trying to maintain order in what could be chaos. And sometimes we can't do that, and sometimes the balls will drop. 
So this executive control is really, really powerful because our goals are constantly informing what we do. And in fact, they're guiding what the other two systems do. If the goal oh. is pay attention right now to what I'm saying and what you're asking me, then that's gonna determine where my flashlight is and that's gonna determine how I'm, I'm engaging my, my floodlight even. Mm. So these systems, they all interact with each other. It ends up that I'm not just describing them because I happen to like cute metaphors. It's that <laughs> as a brain scientist, we know, you know, I know that each of these actually is supported by distinct brain networks. Mm. And these brain networks have to kind of coordinate and work together. And oftentimes they can actually battle each other. So, you know, for example, let's go back to the, the executive control saying, pay attention to, uh, you know, Lisa's face right now. Um, if all of a sudden I, I n notice that there's a, a ring on my phone that I know is only from one person who I really need to hear from, like let's say my child's nurse or something like that, that is going to pull my flashlight away from whatever I'm doing, even though executive control says, pay attention to, mm. to Lisa right now, override it and yank it toward that other stimuli. So these are always kind of dueling, dueling each other and we've got to manage and intervene as appropriate as these, as these systems interact with each other. I love that. So how do you do that? How do you know when you give yourself permission to override yourself, I guess? Well, unfortunately, we're not usually giving ourselves permission. We're just being yanked around. <laughs> because that same flashlight, remember it developed because evolution uh, advantaged our survival by having this function. We use it to direct, and this is a very important thing that I actually didn't talk about when I was talking about the flashlight. I use it to direct it externally or internally to thoughts and memories, but that same flashlight can get pulled. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes it doesn't have to be a very specific ringtone from a very specific person. Any text notification is going to yank your flashlight. Any notification on your phone, you know, it's going to, any thought that is troubling or uh, novel or potentially related to your, your sense of threat can also pull that flashlight. Mm. So one of the things, you said the key word, which is how do we become, like how are we aware Right? When we're aware, can we override it? The thing we probably need to train is not so much what to do with the flashlight. We're really good at moving it around. We have to become more aware of where it is. Mm. And we're usually not. Usually our attention is on something, you know, think of like the last time, and I'm, I'm guilty of this too, like 30 minutes on TikTok, flown by, <laughs> you have no idea, <laughs> and you're like, how did this happen to me? Right? Like, where was my attention this whole time? I feel like I was not an active participant mm. in what's happened. Not that it can't be fun, but there's so many things that led to me having a moment, a, a period of time where I'm doing something on, on social media, and I was unaware of all of them. You know, hmm. I was unaware of even picking up my phone. I was unaware of even putting in the code, even clicking on the app, even initially starting to look at things. I was completely checked out during all of those. And if I can practice becoming more aware moment by moment, I will have more opportunities to intervene to best advantage what I want to succeed and do in my life. Mm. And is that then recognizing those moments where you are being pulled and then yeah, going back to absolutely. it? Yeah, absolutely. And then deciding, you know, sometimes you get pulled and you don't need to be pulled away. Mm -hmm. You're like, no, this is important right now. Right. Right? Like you're in the middle of an important conversation, but then something else pressing happens, that needs to reprioritize. Basically, the executive control needs to update the goal. The goal right. changes. I like that. So I think that the the... You know, this kind of does all of this culminates on the phrase that I used earlier, mindfulness meditation. Yeah. Because this, this mindfulness meditation was a surprising entry into my lab. Like I never thought, you know, you look at me, you know I'm an Indian woman. And yes, my family background is uh, very much aligned with practices like meditation. And I grew up seeing my parents 
meditate and practice yoga. And really, I was a skeptic. I was like, yeah, that's great for you, not for me. Mm. But I ended up at a point in my lab's research where everything we were trying, you know, going back to the beginning of our conversation where you were asking me about attention and, and there's kryptonite for attention, there are things that make it vulnerable, and I wanted to train attention so people would have more available when, they, when it really mattered, nothing was working. And the only thing that seemed to really work is offering them mindfulness meditation. Mm. So even the term meditation is just important to kind of understand. In my mind, when I, see, when I hear that term, it's like the term sports, right? It's like an umbrella category. Mm. When I say sports, you know what I mean, but you don't, you know, being a gymnast is very different than being a volleyball player. So meditation also has varieties, mm. and there's transcendental meditation, compassion meditation, Christian contemplative prayer, Judaic prayer. I mean, every major tradition, spiritual and religious tradition, throughout history has had some form of contemplative practice or meditation. But the specifics matter. So meditation, in my mind, is engaging in certain mental practices to cultivate certain mental qualities. Well, what are the practices? That's the mm -hmm. question, right? Mm -hmm. That is what distinguishes different sports, and it also distinguishes different forms of meditation. Mm. So for example, if you were engaging in something like transcendental meditation, you'd repeat a phrase or a mantra over and over again, and the intention of the quality you're trying to cultivate is transcending the self and kind of merging with something larger. Mm. If you were engaging in something called um, compassion meditation, you'd be really emphasizing the suffering of others and acting on behalf of alleviating mm -hmm. that suffering, and then you do mental practices to call those qualities to mind. Mindfulness meditation is one kind of sport, if you will, with the mind, and it has to do with paying attention to our present moment experience without editorializing or reacting to it. So, you know, just to put it more plainly, mindfulness meditation is about being in the present moment without a story about it. So we wanna take that observational stance, but we also don't wanna engage with the content. We wanna just watch it. So that's what I mean by paying attention to our present moment experience mm -hmm. without a story about it. Because the story making is the, is the elaborating that we're talking about. Yeah, I love that. And you also talk about um, along these lines, like the, the video, the recording of the situation. Yeah. So talk to me about that and how attention is about the present, is about now. And our mind, you know, rewinds and fast forwards yeah, yeah, yeah. and things like that. Well, no, attention actually doesn't have to be in the present moment. Attention, when we think about um, a memory, our attention has been rewound to the past. Mm. It's in the past. So the present moment mm. is actually of tension with some memory that's coming up. Remember we talked about having the memory come up and then your flashlight's on it. Yeah. So it's actually in the past in that moment. Mm. Or it's fast forwarding to the future. The mind will do mental time travel. That's just what the mind does. And But there are consequences to not being in the present moment. So that picks up on what you were saying. Paying attention to somewhere that is not in the here and the now will basically make you miss what's happening in the here and the now. Unfortunately, under certain circumstances, especially for the kinds of groups that I work with, military service members, medical professionals, even elite athletes, we can end up in rewind without knowing it. Right. So we should be in this moment. You know, there's an important surgery to do, or like I'm in the middle of an operation, meaning a military operation, or in the middle of a, a play in, as an athlete, but I'm all of a sudden thinking about the last play. Right. Or the last experience. And we don't have the awareness to know that attention has been hijacked to the past. And oftentimes, we can get stuck in a loop of the past, something we call rumination. Mm -hmm. And just like you were saying, you know, a difficult emotion may arise, 
and then we're kind of stuck there. And it may take a long time for us to even realize we're stuck in the past. Hmm. So talk to me about rumination and how we start to notice, because the spiral is so real. Yeah. The spiral of I should have, I could have, I can't believe I did this, yeah. is sometimes crippling for a lot yeah. of us. Um, and it absolutely takes you away from maybe the joy of the moment or even like the the challenge of the exactly. moment. Um, and I know you say story about um, somebody who, I can't remember who it was, but they go on this beautiful scenery and they didn't take in any yeah. of the scenery because their mind was back in That's when right. they were in at the war. Yeah, in absolutely, right. Yeah, this was somebody that was actually, has become a, a dear friend of mine. He was a a captain, a marine captain, on this beautiful bridge in the middle of uh, the Florida Keys and completely missed everything because he was so gripped by past traumatic experiences from his time as a, as a marine back in Iraq. And, you know, and that became consequential because in that moment he actually considered just going off the bridge. And thankfully he caught himself, realized that the, the moment that has gripped me is not right now. And, and thankfully, that led him on a journey to want to pursue solutions that would help people. Um, but it can be absolutely devastating when we let our mind get hijacked. I mean, not, maybe not for most of us that extreme, but it can be quite problematic. And you know, there are many things that we can uh, add to our toolkit to help us. Um, because truly what we're doing in that moment with rumination is that we're, our attentional flashlight is now not in the present, it's actually yanked to the future. And every time we loop, we're actually feeding that thought mm -hmm. over and over again. Attention fuels that, right? Mm -hmm. So one thing we could do is kind of remove the gas tank from that thought, like how do I do that? And like you said, probably saying, I'm not gonna think about that is not gonna work. So instead you could say, what's going on right now in the present moment? One way we did that is like, orienting to the body. Mm -hmm. Like keep the button on play, but get back here right now. Yeah, that thought is happening, but I'm also a person sitting, breathing. What's going on right now? or take a bird's eye view in this moment and watch what's going on. So those are strategies to help mm -hmm. us unhook and can not feed that negative rumination as, as much as we were. But the step to instigate all of this, the very important first step is an awareness that it's happening. And that is very, very important. Usually when we um, have that awareness, we've been at it for quite a while. It's like, I can't do anything. Stop having this thought come up. You know, the memory needs to stop. It's like we get, we get into battles with ourselves where we feel like we can't get out of it because we typically cannot think ourselves out of mental challenge. We've got to do something with our attention that is not thinking. And most of us have not been trained on using our mind to do something other than think. Yeah, it's so true. <laughs> so what are the steps to becoming aware? That's where mindfulness training can help. Because remember, mindfulness meditation, paying attention to present moment experience without a story about it, without editorializing about it. It's just sort of the, the thing that mindfulness is. But now we've got to cultivate a mind that can do that, just like physical exercise. So a lot of the practices in mindfulness um, programs, and these are the ones that I laid out in the book too, are just a suite of things you can do. And I'll give you an example of one that you can do so that um, you're kind of training your mind, separate from events occurring, to get better at noticing um, and to respond differently when, when difficulty in, in the mind arises. So at least you have the option. You, know, you may decide to keep thinking yeah. and keep ruminating. Right. You can choose to do that, but you don't have to. You're not, that's not the only alternative available for you. So one very simple practice that is essentially foundational to every kind of mindfulness training and one that um, I actually think 
we could do, we could just start today. Like you've never heard of mindfulness, you've never done it. Start it today, start oh, yeah. for 30 seconds today, right? And then build up, like I said, our, our research suggests that about 12 minutes a day, around four weeks of doing this, 12 minutes a day can really help not only protect attention, but benefit mood and reduce stress. And frankly, this is very important. Just like physical activity, the more you do, the more you benefit. Yeah. But it's good to know that there's a threshold. Right. right. So anyway, so what you do in that practice is, and I call it the find your flashlight practice, because it really is exactly the question that you were asking. How do I become aware? How do I become aware? Mm -hmm. Part of becoming aware of what's going on in the moment is knowing where the heck our flashlight of attention is actually pointed. Most of us don't, right? It takes a lot. Mm -hmm. Like think of the last time you were trying to read a book, you got to the bottom of the page and have like no idea what's going on. <laughs> so true. I mean, you know, that happens. Or even driving somewhere, yeah. you, you arrive thankfully safely, but you're like, I don't have any memory of the drive. Or even one, and I don't know if this is similar, but it feels similar, you walk past the mirror five times and you criticize yourself without even realizing mm. it. And you're like, I've just totally put myself down yeah. five times. Like it was so, you default. don't even realize default, yeah. Default, default, very important. And the more we can cultivate this quality of paying attention to what's happening right now, the more opportunities we have to intervene, Yes. right? And in the, in, it's, fu it's funny that you mentioned the criticizing because one of the things that rounds out the practices in the book is something called loving kindness practice. And that is one of my favorite practices because it actually takes these tendencies of mind that we might not even be aware of mm. and kind of turns them on their head and says, I'm just gonna wish myself well. Yeah. I'm gonna wish myself ease in the body, mind, my relationships, my safety. So anyway, that's sort of a, yeah. a different thing. But just to describe the mindfulness, yeah. the find your flashlight practice, because I would love it if people had not heard about it for them to just give it a I try. I would love, yeah, please break <laughs> it down. <laughs> okay, so the first thing is, we already know it's gonna deal with the flashlight since I call it that. And the first thing you typically do in this practice, and people can customize it whatever way they want, but what tends to work best is no other major distractions. You don't need to have music playing. This, this is like a no frills, bare bones workout for the okay. mind. And in fact, it actually is important that you try to do it in a way that is not filled with other kinds of stimulation, because oftentimes the flashlight will want to wander to the beautiful music or the beautiful mm -hmm. scenery or whatever. So keep it very simple and dedicate some period of time where you're gonna do this practice. Like let's start out with like a minute. So what you decide for that minute is I'm gonna sit, I'm gonna lower or close my eyes if that's comfortable. You know, if you don't wanna close your eyes, that's fine, many people don't. Just lower them, like about maybe six mm. inches in front of your foot, just lower it. And what you're trying to do is reduce the visual stimulation. Mm. Just keep everything so that it's minimizing what's going on right now. Mm. And then the next step is just let's just, we've been here from now, quite a while, right, sitting, talking. We've been breathing the entire time. We've not been thinking about our breathing. Mm -hmm. So now we're gonna do is intentionally notice our body's breathing. You mind if I do it? Yeah, while you please talk? do. Okay. Everyone at home, do the same. Come <laughs> join me, guys. All right, so closing so, your eyes. So closing or lowering your eyes, and let's just arrive here. First step, notice that our body is sitting and breathing. And you know, when you, when you kind of get that sense of, yes, I'm embodied, I'm feeling the breathing body, in some sense we're being breathed. We're not even trying to breathe, it's just happening. Now what we're gonna do is kind of check out this breathing landscape, the, almost we can say the breathscape. What's really vivid right now for you as it relates to your breath? I didn't realize that I was breathing shallow until you told me to pay attention to my breathing. Mm. And now 
automatically I'm breathing deeper, so I can oh, okay. actually hear my breathing. Okay, so maybe the sound of the breath is mm. prominent for you right now? Yeah. Or for me, it would be like the coolness of air moving in and out of my nostrils. That's a real sensory experience of the breath. So mm. we're going to pick whatever it is, and everybody can have a different uh, sort of noticing of what's vivid, but the intention is for, for the next, you know, however many minutes or seconds we do this, we're going to take that flashlight of our attention, and we're going to have that vivid breath-related sensation be the anchor. We're going to have it be the target for where we point the flashlight. So as I'm sitting and breathing, and I notice that it's the coolness of air, I literally take my mind's eye, I take the flashlight of my attention, and have it pointed toward kind of my mouth and nose where breath is prominent. And then for the next of the series of minutes of the practice, my intention is to keep my flashlight steady on the breath-related sensation. So focus, that's the first step. So let's just take a, a few breaths to just focus on, on anchoring around that sensation. And if it hasn't happened already, it, it surely will. Your mind's going to wander away. Even though you fully intend <laughs> to pay attention to the breath, it's gone off to some other place. It was to your voice. I was like, is she going to speak next? Exactly. The anticipation. <laughs> yeah. It was even before you heard yeah. my voice, right? Yeah. The thought, is she going to speak next, mm. was a little bit of mind-wandering. So notice when mind-wandering happens. Second step, focus, notice. Third step, redirect attention back. Mm. So as we're sitting, eyes closed, you know, calmly, focusing on the breath, mind-wandering will happen. Notice it. Take the flashlight, redirect it back. Just three steps. Focus, notice, redirect. God, I love that so much. So I don't know if I've ever told you about my past and meditation. I've just, I've hated it. It's been like, okay, it makes sense. Everyone's telling me. I have interviewed yeah. a lot of experts. My husband has, and I'm just like... It, if, the whole, if every, the whole band isn't out of step, right, as they say, so clearly I'm the one that's doing it wrong. And so, of course, I so pride myself. I'm like, you've got to do it. You're going to do great. And it's like, I'm failing at it. So it became like this whole thing. And then it became stressful. And everyone's like, no, 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 you're supposed to clear your mind. And eventually I was like, screw it. Screw it. And I was like, the gym's my jam. I yeah. go to the gym. Yeah. I clear my mind. I get focused. I get centered. That was the first time because you were saying flashlight, focus, that's how my brain works. Yeah. It's, a, it's, it's guiding me into the very specifics. Um, that was so powerful. Oh, yeah. And I want to just tell you something. Uh, of course you're going to hate it if that's what you have to do. <laughs> like, that's just a terrible project to put on yourself. The yeah. mind wanders, like I said, we were saying this a little while ago, 50% of our waking moments, the mind will wander. Drop the idea that you can clear your mind. Frankly, mm -hmm. take it. Like, rip up, the, write down a piece of paper, yeah. rip it up, never think that you can clear your mind. If you are awake and conscious, your mind will all of a sudden be proliferating thoughts. That is not the project. What I, the reason I called it the find your flashlight practice is because I wanted people to realize the moment you've noticed your mind has wandered away, that's a win. Mm. That's the successful moment. If you had never noticed that your mind has wandered away, would you ever have been able to get it back? No. So instead of framing it as I failed, my mind wandered, no. Ha, found it, found the flashlight, get it back. And then there's no argument with yourself. Once you find it, just redirect it back. And you know, again, I think that as somebody who has a lot of expertise and experience in the physical realm, the notion that there are a set of activities I do and I just repeat them, you can do, you have the discipline, the motivation mm -hmm. to do it. But if you set yourself up for complete failure by saying I'm never gonna mind wander or I'm gonna clear my mind, it's a non-starter, don't do that. Yeah. So, 
And yeah. then it becomes the judgment as well. Yeah, exactly. It's like, oh no, no, you have to do three breaths in, five breaths out. No. And I'm like, <laughs> and I'm like breathing uncomfortably. I'm no. like, I can't breathe properly, but so-and-so's an expert and they told me to, to hold my breath for six <laughs> seconds. And six seconds is just making me gasp for air. Right? And now it's like this. So, I'm so sorry. That sounds terrible. <laughs> it does. Going yeah. back to, I, I knew there's something I'm missing. It's kind of like reading people like, some people are like, I, I hate reading. And I really think you just haven't found the right book for you. Mm-hmm. And like in, in researching you and talking to you, like I'm starting to really realize there's like something for everyone. And your type of understanding and explanation is my jam. It's Aww. the way that I think. It's the way that I function. It's not judging myself over yeah. not being able to do it. Yeah. Um, and I love, I'm all about perspective. And so I love that you just flip the perspective. We're like, no, yeah. no, Lisa, actually, the fact that your mind is wandering means, and so that actually makes yeah. me now relax. But it's true, too. I'm not just, I mean, I'm glad that you feel better about <laughs> it, but it's actually yeah. true. The mind will wander. That's a given. The mind's nature mm-hmm. is to be distractible. It was designed for distractibility, but it also has this capacity to notice and control. Yeah. So we just use that to train ourselves. And you know, going back to the really poignant question you asked, which is how do we become aware? The more we do this kind of practice, the more we kind of has as, have as the habit to check in with where we are. Mm-hmm. Where am I right now? Where is my attention? What is, what are, where's my flashlight? Yeah. You know, is it really about to be in this very negative memory? Does it need to be? You know, maybe then we can go back, as, as you were asking me earlier, kind of full circle of where we start our conversation. Can I just move my uh, attention over here and not pay attention to that thing? Well, if you do it in a way that really honors the fact that everything that is in your mind is occurring, then you can actually take your flashlight and direct it toward breath-related sensations, body-related sensations, mm. other thoughts, feelings, emotions, back to the present moment so that you can have the conversation that you're intending to, to have without getting hijacked away. So this is possible, but we have to kind of keep all of this understanding in mind. I love that. And I just want to actually go a little deeper on that one thing that we kind of, I derailed us a little, but you said about the well-wishing. Yeah. Please just explain it. It was so powerful when I read it in your book. Oh, good. Yeah, I love that. It's one of my favorite practices. And, you know, it was kind of funny because when we started this work, we're working with, like, serious bros. And, I mean, I love bros. (laughs) But it was like, really? You're going to tell them to pay attention and love themselves? These are like Marines Marines, special forces, football players, firefighters. Not typically, and many of them, most of them are men. Um, but they're not going to be the ones that you'd think, oh, yeah, they want to sit down and wish themselves, you know, love and peace and kindness. And so I was, I was a, a little bit thinking in those terms of like, well, that may be my default assumption that they don't care about that. But all of those groups, in fact, all of us have connection that we'd like to have mm-hmm. with other people and deep care and concern for other people. And we want to make sure that we not just reserve that care and concern for other people. Like for a Marine, it may be his battle buddy. For a firefighter, it may be another person on, on his or her a squad that actually is going to go and fight fires. They would say for sure deep love and commitment and a real care for the wellness of that person. Mm. And so what I realize is that exists. This is part of this culture of many of these kinds of groups that you might say are resistant to kindness and love. But they actually already have that. The only slight adjustment I'd make is include yourself in the care. Include yourself in the concern and the, and the well-wishing. And that's what the loving-kindness practice does. The reason I offer it actually third in the sequence of, of practices is because we actually need to have a really good flashlight and a really good floodlight to be able to do this practice. Mm. And because we're going to use that flashlight to repeat certain phrases over and over again, which are essentially reminding us of the intention 
behind what we wish for ourselves at the deepest level, right? We can run around and we can work out like crazy and have wonderful, nutritious food, but if we forget the reason behind why we're living our lives the way we are, it's almost all for naught. So what we do in this practice is essentially we um, pick some phrases that we're gonna use to anchor uh, our, our repetition over and over again. And you just start the practice the way that we did the practice that we just did. Um, I always start with a few breaths of just orienting to breath-related sensations. And then you bring to mind yourself. And I'll just tell you my phrases yeah. and people can choose their own. But for me, my phrases, and again, remember the intention is this is not manifesting. This is not um, trying to enforce that this is going to happen in my life. It really isn't. It's like a birthday wish or, or I wish you a good day. It's just freely given from the heart without an agenda or a mandate that something occur. And then, so with that kind of orientation and spirit in mind, I uh, you know, close my eyes, focus on my breath, and then I'll repeat these phrases, first with me as the recipient of the phrases. And it typically starts with, you use the term, um, the, the phrase, may you, because again, it's a well-wishing. So, so I, for myself, would say, may I be safe? May I be happy? May I be healthy? May I live with ease? And I like those phrases because it kind of covers the gamut of like what I want in my life. Mm. Short words, I don't have to have a long story mm. about it. And then I can even shorthand it by just saying safe, happy, healthy, ease. Is it always the same order? The order helps because you want to not have, you want to reduce deliberation, decision making, <laughs> right, right. right? Just have your phrases, you can write them down and then you can choose whatever words you choose, but keep them short, meaningful to you and something that is really not gonna require that kind of hyperlinking or elaborating. Just, you, you should have some sense of what each of these words mean in a, at a very right. fun, foundational level. Like when I say safety, for, for example, that to me just means that feeling. I know what it feels to be feeling safe or, or happy. I know what that emotional feet tone is. Right? I don't have to deliberate. Well, is happy like when I have a, you know, I get a new uh, iPhone or is it, no, I'm not doing any of that. Just right. it's the emotional quality or tone. Mm. And that's what you want to connect with. Same thing with ease. You know, it's like that feeling of okayness. So each of the words I've chosen, and by the way, it's not just me. This is sort of recommendations I've received from many uh, wise teachers. You just want to sh have the phrases, repeat them in the same order. But here's the important part. Start with yourself, but then you're going to go in a sequence of offering these to other entities. So the second in the sequence would be same phrases, but now instead of may I be safe, happy, healthy, live with ease, it's may you be safe. And the you in that case, we typically start out with somebody that's a benefactor. You know, somebody that's been good to us, somebody where it's, we have nothing but, but uh, kind regard for this person. And of course we want them to have all these well wishes bestowed upon them. It's so easy to do. Oftentimes, if people have difficulty with themselves, you know, and a, a lot of times, like you said, if we're walking past the mirror and saying 10 mean things to ourselves by default, often it's hard to start with yourself. We were doing work with military spouses and they did not like starting with themselves. Yeah. They thought it was almost indulgent to do that. Mm. So we flipped the order. So start with somebody where it's, there's no problem. You know, there's absolutely no hesitation you have regarding offering them well wishes. And maybe have yourself second. And you know, another thing you can do if it feels tricky to have, um, uh, yourself be the object, how would somebody who truly cares about you offer that to you? Ah, that's nice. Right? Like if I think about, you know, my, uh, my dog <laughs> or my child, like they want mommy to be happy, right? Mm. They want her to be healthy and feel safe. Like when you do it from that way, you're more easily able to accept it and bring it into your heart. But you want to feel that for you at some point in the sequence. So 
anyway, you start with yourself, then you have a benefactor. Then if you want to push the edge a little bit, pick somebody that's a little bit of a difficult person. Right? Actually, even before the difficult person, let's pick somebody neutral. Right? And for me, the neutral person could be, you know, my Uber driver that brought me here. Just right. I don't really know this person, but I have no bad or good feelings toward them, right. just a person. And offer that to them. Yeah. And then move to the difficult person. And then I expand out so there's not just individuals, but maybe my community. You know, maybe my my entire town, maybe all beings everywhere. So you're kind of opening this up where you're really allowing yourself to experience the intention of well wishes for all these different entities. You know, starting with you, a benefactor, neutral person, difficult person. Don't pick the most difficult person in your life. Don't really. Don't, don't start there. Oh, because, don't start there. Okay. I yeah. mean, if you can, if you want to work up to it too. But again, it's almost like saying never let your mind wander. <laughs> yeah, like, don't yeah, set yeah, yourself up. So it's, yeah. this is we're not doing this to like harm ourselves or make ourselves frustrated. Right. We're just wanting to move yeah, in the yeah. direction of, of, of doing this because you know some very interesting things start happening when we do this. That's what I was going to ask. Yeah. yeah, and the research also suggests that these are not just a, a, me as a subject of one, but study after study is that people tend to experience more positive emotion. They just do. They experience more relationship harmony. They seem to provide um, examples of being able to take other people's perspectives more easily. It's like, oh, I can see things from the way that I might be perceived. And you know, it's shown up in so many weird ways and fun ways in my life, like even if it, it, with, my, with my spouse. Um, you know, sometimes he's both the difficult person and the benefactor. <laughs> So what I realize is that when we do these practices, um, there's just a little more giving that we can mm. do. You know, it's just like, you know, even if this point I'm making, I know I'm 100% right and he's 100% wrong, ultimately I want him to be happy and I want him to have ease in his life. So how can I bend a little bit? Is there something I can do within what I feel comfortable with where I'm gonna really allow for that deeper wish for this other person that I, I really love in my life to experience? And things happen. We can negotiate maybe more where we would not have, or uh, my grudge isn't held for as long. Uh, I flexibly try to take the perspective of the other person. All these things start shifting from simply sitting by myself for 12 minutes a day repeating these phrases. And to me, that's pretty incredible. It's so incredible. I could keep talking to you forever. <laughs> so um, where can people find you, the book, and all the amazing things you're doing? You're just like on fire. Every, <laughs> every time I open something, you're being interviewed. So where can people find oh, all the great yeah, things you're doing? Oh, yeah, thank you so much. Yeah, so if, uh, you know, I'd love for people to learn more about the book and my, uh, my lab's research. And they can they remember my name. I'm easy to find. Amishi.com, A-M-I-S-H-I.com. We'll put all the links and everything in the, awesome. in the comment. Yeah, Guys, you've got to go check her out. Her book was so amazing. I love to learn. You know I love to learn. I love to improve. I love to get better. I am the hero of my own life. And in order to do that, I need to give myself the skill set in order to be able to show up every day. And when I tell you her book is literally helping you with that skill set, I really mean it. So go get it. And if you're not subscribed, guys, please click that subscribe button down there. And if you're not following me, follow me at Lisa Billu. And until next time, guys, be the hero of your own life. Peace out.